Welcome back to the Weekly Driver Podcast. My name is James Rea. I'm an automotive columnist for Bay Area News Group, and I publish the website, theweeklydriver.com. My colleague, uh, as always, and friend, at least today we're friends, um, Bruce Aldridge. And today we have on a special guest because he has a wonderful vintage car. It's Dean Sievers. And I, I met Dean briefly uh, one day, maybe a year or so ago, uh, in front of Compton's Market, and my heart skipped a beat because he has a 1961 Studebaker Mark 8. Is that what they call it? Mark 8? Yeah, or just Mark, a, a Lark 8. A Lark 8? Yeah. And then I, I drove by his car a while back, and I put my card in, in his windshield, and he called me back. So he's our guest today. Um, welcome, Mark, to our program. We can't wait to talk to you about um, your wonderful Studebaker. Well, thank you for having me. Sure. Can you give us a little background on when you acquired the car and what struck your fancy about um, the wonderful world of Studebaker? Sure. I'll, yeah, it's a little bit of a circular story, but I'll try to give you the CliffsNets sure. version of it. Uh, I've always kind of been into old cars. My dad was a lifer at General Motors. You know, I grew up in Fremont. He worked at the Fremont plant there. Um, and he was a company guy, so we always had General Motors products. but. His very first car in the late 40s was a 1929 Studebaker, and he always kind of talked about it a little, you know, pretty fondly. Um, and, you know, I don't know how much of it was the car versus it's like my first car, and it yes. was sort of like, you know, the adventures he had in it. Mm -hmm. So Studebaker wasn't completely unfamiliar to me. Um, and then fast forward to the early 90s, I had an acquaintance who picked up a 19... 53 or 54 Studebaker Conestoga station wagon, mm -hmm. which is the two-door station wagon that's kind of based on the Speedster front end. Really gorgeous car. Yes. And I really that really struck me, and, and I admired that. And um, and then there used to be an older lady that had a, it was a beat-to-hell car, but it was like a 50 or 51 bullet nose mm -hmm. Studebaker, probably a Commander, because it didn't sound like it had a V8 in it. Those were popular. Yeah. yeah, yeah anybody can spot that, a Commander. And yep. it was it was kind of this copper tone colored, and it was just really beat up, but you'd see her driving around in it, and it, it always struck me that every time I saw her behind the wheel, she was smiling. It's like she you could tell she just loved the car. <laughs> yeah. Anytime you'd see her going down J Street or something. Yes. And this was back when, you know, Midtown was kind of a ghost town. Um, and so those kind of things kind of stuck with me. Um, and so when it came time to, and I've had a bunch of other old cars, um, mostly British stuff. Um, but I started working on like a 1963 uh, Slingshot Dragster and started thinking, man, I want to have a period tow vehicle as well. And my original thought with my dad being a General Motors guy is I kind of wanted a 50 to 54 wagon mm -hmm. but I was thinking well I don't know if the you know even if I upgraded it to a 235 straight six if it would really pull a dragster and and then uh, looking around there were just even projects were really expensive and so I started thinking of like alternate things and the, the Studebaker sort of floated in my head and I remembered the Conestoga wagon so I kind of halfway started looking for one of those um and then I went to the Autorama, and the local Studebaker chapter had a display there, and I started talking to them about uh, about the cars, and it just sort of convinced, I was sold on it. So yes. the thing that's difficult with Studebakers is they're around, but they weren't made in enough numbers to where if you're starting to search for something in particular, it's kind of harder to find. Yeah, sure. So, and I knew, okay, I wanted a V8, um, I wanted a wagon, I was kind of halfway thinking about the Conestoga, but then I kind of became a little enthralled with the Larks. 
And uh, I just so happened to find uh, my wagon on Craigslist in the Bay Area. Yes. And, when did you acquire it? Um, it was February of, I guess, I guess I've had it for like three years now. So February of 16. Okay. Now, fill me in. The Lark, it's a little bit smaller vehicle than, than the rest of their yeah, line. Yeah, basically what but they did. But it had did, a V8. Yeah. Well, they originally came out with the Flat 6. They were one of the last companies. I think Rambler probably held on to the Flathead 6 maybe a year later uh-huh. than Studebaker. But the base model still had a Flathead 6 into, I think, 60. Okay. I think by 61, they had the overhead valve one, which was still the same basic block. They just engineered a head for it. Yeah. Um, and what they did, it was kind of ingenious, is the like the 56 to 58 full-size cars, um, they kind of have a charm to them now, but they're not, I mean, the proportions are all weird on them, and they're a little bit, kind of got beaten with the ugly stick. <laughs> and um, even, even better. <laughs> yeah. In a way. Studebaker had a lot of cars with, <laughs> with yeah. ugly sticks, yeah. Yeah, I mean, it's funny... But some of them have actually, uh, I think, aged really well. Um, Certainly your Lark has. I mean, it's a well-proportioned car. I mean, it it looks fine. And so what they did is they took that, I mean, they were an independent car company who were always strapped for cash. And so what they did is they took those full-size ones and they kind of, you know, took the long view of it and said, well, we can lop off this much of the body behind the rear wheels and this much of the body in front of the front axle and make a compact car. So they effectively shorten the car without shortening the wheelbase. And they right, use the okay. same basic frame and everything like that. And so they were really the first American compact car. And in 59, like, the sales exploded. I mean, they, they went some, you know, Studebaker was selling something like 20,000 units of their, you know, full-size sedan to, like, 150,000. And then 1960 happened, and then the big three came out with their compact cars and, like, started a price war that, you know, none of the independents could compete with. No, yeah. Um, but, yeah, so that's kind of how the Lark came into being, and that kind of infused, uh, you know, I'm sure that Studebaker hung on for three or four years longer because of the success of the Lark. So. Now, yours is a convertible, right? No, it's a wagon. It's a wagon. Or, yes, um, excuse me, a wagon, that's yeah. what I was thinking. And and you wanted the room to, to tow your dragster? Yeah, you just, you know, be able to put tools and stuff sure. in. And I just like wagons anyways. I've, I've been drawn to them for a long time. Now, I, I would never ask you the particulars, but I you you have you're a mechanic on some level. Yes. And so, when you get a now almost 60 year old car, uh, has it been a labor of love? Has it been a money pit? Has it been all of the above? None of the above? And and how much do you find your time yourself putting in time into the car to make it um, a daily driver? You know, if you want I, it to be. I I like tinkering on. On cars. I mean, to me, I'm the sort of person where um, I tend to own a lot of different older things because there's a part of me that feels like if I've got sweat equity into it, it's mine. Gotcha. I love it. I love it. Um, and so, like, when I first got the car, I actually drove it home. It was a little bit of a scary ride home, like, uh, um, <laughs> yeah. mostly because of the tires. And and the plan was, so I, I met the owners in, um, in Tracy. And I thought, oh, great, we're going to meet at this parking lot. Um, if it all checks out, I'll buy the car, and there's a big O across the street. Get a set of tires on it and drive home. Right. Well, it turns out that the stock Lark wheels are too narrow, and so they don't make a, a radial tire that you can get at a regular store. 
Now, which is funny because it's the same size tire that was like on Chrysler minivans and so forth. So it's odd. Uh-huh. It's like a, a 175 R15. Um, so and they so, were using a 15-inch wheel back yeah, then. That's, yeah, totally. That's unusual, yeah, too. Yeah, f- five lug. Well, I mean, it's got it, it's got a Dana rear end in it, and that's what they came stock with. It's got a limited slip differential. They called it twin traction um, in the Studebaker uh, world. But it was a four-inch wide or four or four-and-a-half-inch wide wheel, and you couldn't put a 205 on there. Mm-hmm. So... So, and these tires were frightening that were on it. And I'm like, well, frightening. I love it. I'm not taking it on the freeway. So I took the river road. I took 160 all the way home. Good for you. Um, you didn't fall on the, off the levees. I didn't, although I was slightly worried about it. And actually, I like, this is dorky. I don't like name all of my vehicles or anything like that. But occasionally, you know, one of them will like reveal its name to me. And I've got a 1953 Triumph motorcycle that's rosy. Why it's rosy, I have no idea. But it yeah. ended up that way. And so, like, the the Lark Wagon is Martha. Martha, all right. And it was like, there was a moment of, like, that ride home was like how they describe flying, where it's like hours of boredom punctuated by moments of panic. <laughs> yeah. um, what was your panic? Um, there was just, you, you could feel like the, the tires were just in really bad shape. I was like, you know, I'd hear something like, uh, I think maybe the tire's chunking. Oh, boy. And, um, and so just out, out of the blue, I blurred it. And this was nightfall by this time, too. It was February in the evening. And so out of the, out of the blue, you know, I felt myself exclaiming, come on, Martha, we can do it. And I have no idea where that came from. And when I parked the car, when I got it home, I looked, and there was a Michigan State sticker. So there's an M on the window anyways. Oh, gotcha. So anyways, and like I said, that's dorky. I know a lot of people think, ah, people who name inanimate objects. That's all right. You know. There's worse dorky things. No, that's, than a, that. good, that's a good dorky story. That's a good yeah. dorky. So what I found out, though, is same bolt pattern as Ford. So what I did is I bought a, just a set of Wheel Ventiques Ford Steelys, slightly wider. They're five inch, so I could go just put uh, modern radials and get them anywhere on there. Good so call. I did, yeah. did that, replaced the shocks. Um, brake system completely rebuilt all the hydraulics and did all bent up all new hard lines for it and everything um does that have the old single system brakes it, it does and i really debated like oh, maybe i should put a dual master cylinder on it but i didn't and i might revisit that at some point in time yeah. and there's in the studebaker world um you know a lot of people convert to front discs and so forth and for me like the old having old vehicles it's the closest thing that i'm ever going to get to time travel so i want the full experience you know Uh, and i i understand upgrading for safety and so forth but i don't necessarily want to change the character of the car so if i did a dual master cylinder i'd still keep it four-wheel drum but it's a bendix system so I, i had to get i think the front shoes from a studebaker dealer but i was able to get the new wheel cylinders and master cylinder in the rear shoes from Summit Racing because it just it fit a bunch of other cars from the period. So the parts are really available for those. So I've gone through that. Um, I'm going to be sw- swapping over to a four barrel. Not that there's a problem with the two barrel setup other than you can't get parts for that carburetor and the throttle shaft's worn out on mine. Um, oh, okay. So I've already gotten the manifold all dialed. But the cool thing with Studebaker being an independent, they couldn't afford to double up on their efforts. So, like, the intake manifold is the same casting with this two-barrel or four-barrel. So you can essentially take a two-barrel manifold and have it fly cut on the top and then the extra holes drilled, and it's a wow, four-barrel manifold. Wow, interesting. Yeah, now, it's cast iron, so it weighs 5,000 pounds. 
Sure. Um, but they came with a Carter carburetor on it, and the new Edelbrock four barrels are based on the Carter, so I've got a 500 CFM Edelbrock four barrel that'll go on it, and maybe a little bit of jetting tweaking, and it'll be as good as new. And then after that, the next thing mechanically to do it is the exhaust system's pretty tired, and it's currently a you know crossover pipe into a single exhaust, and I'm gonna okay. go duals on that, which was an option. The original owner just didn't get that option. And then mechanically, I think it's pretty much there, and then it's just maintenance, you know? How's the acceleration compared to a modern V8? It's not bad, you know? it's The thing is a cruiser, but it keeps up with traffic. It's got it's got a three on the tree, but with a Borg Warner overdrive, so there's overdrive on second and third. Uh, how's the uh, overdrive activated? Is it a switch it's awesome. or what? No, you, you slightly let up on the accelerator pedal. Wow. That's so, like, cool. I cruise around in second overdrive most of the time in town. So, it's above 30 miles an hour. And so, like, I'm driving along, you know, Folsom Boulevard. And, uh, you know, I'll see the speed as, oh, we're above 30. And then I'll just, like, barely lift my, you know, foot off the accelerator. And you feel that little tug and the revs drop and you're in second overdrive. Wow. So, it's got it's got that feature. It's got um, that limited slip rear end. Yeah. What, what kind of radio? Uh, it certainly doesn't have power windows. But what, what kind of luxury or... Um, nice features does it that's have? the luxury I just okay <laughs> that's it it's it a short list it is the regal model so it does have um it came with the roof rack and the deluxe interior which is kind of a tritone interior but it had rubber mats in the front there you go <laughs> but carpet and you know in the back for the back seat what brand of radio is it a push button it is uh, um it's push button and then of course tuner i think it's motorola and the thing that's funny, it's a tube radio. Um, I had it rebuilt, and when I had it rebuilt, I had a port put in. And one of the things that I collect is air checks, which are, um, one, they came out one of two ways. Either, like, you'd get a radio nerd who just loved the radio, so they would tape an hour of, like, their fra- favorite radio station. Or you'd get DJs who wanted to have basically a portfolio, so they would tape an hour of their show. Okay. And they would use that for job hunting or so forth. Well, there's a community that trades those. And the car was purchased um, from a dealership in Oakland and it lived in Livermore. And so I've collected air checks from the early 60s from this radio stations in the Bay Area. And I hook up an MP3 player, especially at night. It's eerie, you know, and it's kind of cool. You're driving around listening to a radio station from Oakland from 1962. You are a renaissance wow. And there's a part of you that thinks, like, this might not be the first time that this is, you know, this radio has program has gone through this speaker. That's great stuff. You know, and so it's kind of, as I said, my old stuff, it's sort of time travel. Um not that you know i'm not under any illusions that there was ever a time where life was perfect but just with my sensibilities i tend to relate to things that are older um i do remember when i met you if this image is right we and to step back a little bit where we live in i live in east sacramento bruce lives on american river drive and in my area there's an old market compton's and you were out front i think you might even had a fedora hat on one day and some khakis Maybe I'm embellishing that a little bit. Yeah, I'm not but a real hat guy, so I don't. Really, I unless I was, unless I was on my way to Oktoberfest, it turned right. Maybe it might you, have maybe, been maybe you were. that, but that's about the only but, time we were. Uh, you know, East Sac has these older homes and deep driveways, and so you could drive by. You live on 40th Street. Yeah. You could drive by and not see your car if it's parked deep into the driveway, and we've done that many. We found an old electric car. We've seen Ramblers. We've seen your car and other cars. It's, it's neat to be in East Sacramento 
if you're driving, you don't see it often, but if you're walking on your bike, you can tend to see these vintage cars, which is how you know I got, got to find you. Um, all of that said, when you're driving a 60-year-old car, or nearly 60, what have been some of the reactions that you've gotten from uh, people who want to buy it? They say, what is that ugly thing? Whatever the reactions have been, what, what is, what's the spectrum of some of the reactions? You know, surprisingly, the thing that surprised me the most is how ignored it is. You know, we're living in a time where, like, car enthusiasm is sort of dying out. Old car enthusiasm is sort of dying out, I think. I mean, I think, you know, it's not like five years from now. Right. But, like, I've got a 21-year-old son, and he sort of likes it from afar, but he doesn't have any desire no interest, huh? to get his own old car, I don't think. And none of his I'll friends, a lot of his friends don't even drive. They don't. You know, young people uh, tend to not envision... Um, owning old cars or yes. relating to them um, or you know or maybe like the definition of an old car is different to them they might remember like the car that they grew up with in the early 90s or something like that yes. and so that's what they desire um, but a lot of them I just don't think you know they can't relate to the expense of it or the inconvenience of it and if they're not mechanically minded you know yeah I, I think though that maybe uh, I can think of two examples. I just came from a dentist, and my dentist, I used to go to his father, and his father has a 57 Chevy. Mm -hmm. My friend now, my dentist is maybe 40, and he's inherited that car. Bruce inherited his father's car. Uh, we spoke to a guy last week who's got a um, Metropolitan Nash. Oh, nice. his, his family grew up with Ramblers and AMC cars. It's a 59. 59. Yours oh, cool. a 59, my dad's car is a 59. Mine's a 61. 61. Oh, okay. Yeah, the Lark came That's out right. in 59. So I'm thinking that maybe maybe um, when your son gets older, perhaps he'll say, God, remember that car my dad had? Maybe 20 years from now, he might go look for one. You never know. Yeah, <laughs> well, and there's other things too because, you know, as I mentioned, I've got the 1953 Triumph motorcycle, and mm -hmm. I mean the old Vespas and Lambrettas as well. Yeah. Um, I used to have a Crosley station. Wagon. Oh, that's another one I would Crosley, skip, yeah. skip, um, a, skip a heartbeat. That's a, that's fantastic. And and so and then the other thing is he grew up. Um, I got into restoring old racing go karts from the um, early to mid '60s. Yes. And so he grew up with us running those. You know, I, yeah. I built one for him, restored one for him for his seventh birthday. And he had that in, and was involved in that up until he was yeah, maybe 16 or 17. And girls and friends had more allure than hanging sure. out with a bunch of old guys at the, at the track. Um, so I think something will take, and he's mechanically minded. He's super into bicycles and he wrenches on his own bikes. Um, he's a bike mechanic for a living. So, so that gene has been passed out. It's just manifested sure. itself differently. Right. What about if you like if you're parked at a, a market or if you drive it to work one day, do you get reactions from people of our age? Typically not. Really. not. And, and I think part of it, you know, not without putting too fine a point on it, being in East Sacramento and probably the overriding politics of East Sacramento, I would imagine a lot of people look at that and go, oh, there's that polluter. <laughs> yeah. You know? Could be. Could be. Um, and so it just depends. I mean, I've gotten some honks and thumbs up or, hey, what is it? Or, you know, nice valiant wagon. You know, nice because it's got, <laughs> cause it's got the dual headlights and yeah. the kind of the, you know, that sort of, you know, square type grill. Now, when I talked to you on the phone a while back, I just remembered you, you made a comment that you felt that Studebaker, or you feel that Studebaker uh, has gotten a bad rap, and you, you really appreciate the way that they were made, and you think it's an under underappreciated car, if I remember our yeah, conversation. So 
cover that base, if you would. What 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 do you think about this, the well, manufacturing of Studebaker? Honestly, in working on it and working on the car, um, it's made me kind of fall in love with it more. Mm-hmm. There's a certain kind of um, being a West Coaster. It's it's probably a stereotype that I came across that may or may not be accurate, but there's almost like a Midwestern sensibility to the engineering and the design. Mm-hmm. Um, it's kind of rudimentary but it works and everything is serviceable and um, again because they didn't have the money to constantly upgrade for the sake of upgrading um, they just had the foresight to design something sturdy that worked I mean it still has a you know 61 it has a kingpin front suspension and those went out with like almost every other make probably by the late 40s yes Um, and that stayed with Studebaker up until the end and it works fine um and so I just like the fact that there, you know, there's no fake scoops on it. There's no, there's something very honest about the car. I love that. It's, yeah. it's you like know, a VW bug then. Yeah, it is what it is. It presents itself at, you know, you look at it and you instantly get the aura of what the car is. It doesn't purport to be anything more or less. And it seems to be well put together then. Yeah, it, it's it's great. And it's kind of like, um, you know, I always sort of liken it a little bit to um, kind of if the Midwestern, uh, um, it's like a Midwestern British car. Everything's beefier. Some of the times, uh, I mean, there's things that are weird about it that you think, ah, oh, what were they thinking with that? The wiring is difficult. There's no fuse block. Um, all the uh, All the fuses are in line under the dash and the dash is curved and so you know to have to diagnose you're a genius huh? <laughs> yeah so to diagnose anything or even change fuses you know you it's like working wow. through a mail slot you right, know right. You, <laughs> good analogy it's like studebaker yoga you know you have to collapse the seat and insert yourself under there with your little minor light on uh-huh. and, but i think it's the feeling that you like that <laughs> well there's something about uh, and it's and again it reminds me of the British cars because like I had an Austin Healey Sprite at one point in time and it was up to this it was the most foreign car I ever had because it was never off the road for extended period of time I would say okay this weekend I'm going to totally go and rebuild the front suspension and I'd start Saturday morning and by Sunday night it was back together and I was driving the car to work on Monday so it's like it rewards the effort that you put in with it just runs better or it feels better or um, it's a really rewarding car to work on and, you know, starting the valve, uh, redoing the valve stem seals this last weekend, you know, I took the opportunity to change the plugs. And even just doing that, points and condenser were fine, the cap were fine. But, like, it was a good starter before, but it started instantly, doesn't smoke. It, it just, yeah, everything that you do on it, it rewards you handsomely for your efforts. So That's great. One of the things I did on my old car was I got rid of the, the points. Yeah. I always had problems with those. Do you running stock points still i am now i mean until it gives me a reason to change i'm gonna keep doing it um it's got it's got the ac delco distributor the window distributor that you find on the general motors cars and stuff and so far it's just been awesome was studemaker they were doing their own castings and making their own yeah their engines are great that's the one thing that drives every studebaker person crazy is Towards the end, there were two sizes of V8, but it was the same basic block. One was 259 cc or cc cubic inches, which is what mine is. The same basic motor was a 289. And everybody thinks they know that is not a Studebaker owner, but like, oh yeah, I know all about those. They have Ford 289s in them. And it's like it's not oh, a Ford. Okay. <laughs> you know, the 289 Studebaker actually predates the Ford 289. You know, even by displacement. Um, but and it's a great engine. 
um, I think I started, and I'm sorry if I'm just rambling. No, no, on. it's great. Um, when they came out with the engine in 51, um, again, they had to sort of try to look into a crystal ball and like, we have one shot at designing a V8. This V8 is going to have to last us at least the next 20 years. So what's happened in the last 10 years that we can maybe plot a trajectory of where we think things are going to go. And one of the things they thought of was like, well, octane ratings are going up, which means compression ratios are going up. So even right now, you know, we might have eight to one, but who knows, you know, 10 years from now, 14 or 15 to one might be standard. So each head has 18 bolts. Like you don't blow head gaskets on Studebakers. Um, the, the castings on there have a lot of chromium in them. They're really heavy, but they're really good castings. Every Studebaker had a forged crankshaft. Um, there's no timing chain. It came stock with timing gears. Um, and it was just kind of a bulletproof, low-stressed motor. Now, two Almost like they could convert it to diesel at some point if they oh, had to. Darn huh? near. <laughs> yeah. Two things come to mind. Early on, you mentioned your father. Is he still with you to appreciate the car or has he passed? No, he passed away when in like 2000, so okay. he's been gone for a while. All right. And, and number two, um, if you go to Hemmings or if you go to Auto Trader or other publications, are Studebakers still in the category of affordable uh, vintage cars that the average person say, well, I'm going to drop 10 grand or 20, whatever it might be, I don't even know, but are they still affordable collectibles or yeah. are they skyrocketed as well? No, I mean, the only one the only one that really brings big bucks is the um, the 1956 Golden Hawk. Yes. And that was the one that had the Packard motor in it. Yeah, yeah. Um, Studebaker and Packard merged in 1954. Um and um, and so yeah, they they ended up with the Packard motor and that one. That's the only one that really commands big bucks. On a really nice Hawk, um, yeah. you know, from '57 to '61, a really nice one might get upwards of twenty. But that's a really nice car. Sure, right, you know, right. um, you can still find a Hawks like driver condition Hawks for ten to twelve. Okay, you can find Larks driver condition Larks. You know, if you don't mind the four doors and so forth. Um, Probably twenty five hundred bucks to. Really, you'd be hard pressed to pay ten for one unless it was wow. maybe a convertible. Okay. okay, I'm looking right away. <laughs> yeah. So. Now, Dean, I see you brought with you. Uh, I see an owner's guide and a, what looks like a window sticker. What? Yeah. Well, I just didn't know. If you, like, sure. Can you go over like yeah, the window sticker there? That's, what, that's, what's on great. there? Yeah, what and and the price. Ons, I guess. Yeah. The, the actual price of the car back then. Yeah. So so basically, I, I brought this along. Um, I'm technically the third or, owner, but kind of, I guess, spiritually the second owner. The 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 second owners were friends of the original owner. They were Studebaker people. Um, the guy who bought the car, uh, John Lochner, um, he was a Studebaker guy, and when he bought a new Studebaker, he still hung on to the old one. So by the time he passed away, he had had three Studebakers, and it's my understanding that the people that I bought it from, a father and son, friends of John, and either the family said, we'll sell all three to you for a cheap price, or they said, if you want to keep the Hawk, sell the other two. Some, it was that okay. kind of arrangement. So they didn't really have the car long enough to... I mean, they, they either sold it for the family or they bought it with the express idea of selling it. So they maybe only own the car for a month or two. So I kind of consider myself the second owner. Okay, sure. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, but it came with just a great stack of 
of the original invoice, all the service records. Um, he ordered it from, what's interesting, he ordered it from a dealership in um, Oakland called Carl Block Incorporated. And doing the research I've done, it's like they don't even appear to be like, Studebaker wasn't one of their main lines. They sold like Alfa Romeos and Austin Healy's and mostly foreign cars. So I'm not sure why John went to Carl Block in Oakland to order a Studebaker. <laughs> and maybe they were more prominent. I don't know if he maybe bought his 1948. I think he had a 48 champion or something like that uh you know maybe that's he's just re- repeat business or sure, yeah but he placed the order on january 28th of 61 um and then he bought it for he put a deposit of 300 dollars down and the, the price out the door was uh, three thousand one hundred twenty seven dollars and 44 cents wow. that's a lot back in the day it sounds pretty high yeah yeah he got a lot it's interesting that the things that he ordered he got the regal wagon which was the deluxe wagon on there but the things that he didn't get the options he passed on are sort of surprising so he got the deluxe interior he got the twin traction rear end he got the um i believe it's the heavy duty clutch in the in the set in the for the setup he got the overdrive um the roof rack um the two side mirrors the seat belts he, he got poverty hubcaps. He didn't get the power brakes or the power steering or the air conditioning. Wow. Now, granted, Livermore is probably still close enough to the Bay Area where you know, might get a 90-degree day once in a while. Sure. sure. Um, so it's a weird mix of deluxe and, like, kind of that Studebaker mentality of kind of... There, there's a term within the Studebaker world, an acronym called CASO. And... Since it's probably a family podcast, I won't say what the A stands for, but it's cheap Studebaker owner. You can say you can say okay. It. Okay, so yeah, cheap ass Studebaker cheap, owner. Yeah. But it's a shorthand. Everybody like, oh, since I'm a Casso or that guy's a Casso or whatever. It's a new term. Thank you. Thank yeah. you. Yeah, I like it. And and it's almost like a badge of honor. You know, it's yeah. not a derogatory thing. And it's just because Studebakers have always been seen, sort of seen as a good value. And honestly, when I I had mentioned that I. Um, what kind of sold me was meeting with the local club at the Autorama. They brought me some catalogs because I was a little bit worried about like parts availability. Mm-hmm. The parts situation is amazing, and and so much of it is like new old stock. There are things that are being reproduced now, rubber seals and mm-hmm. some taillight lenses and a couple hard parts. But there is so much stuff that is just new old stock because Studebaker, when they stopped making cars, they didn't go out of business. They just stopped making cars. They were diversified, and I mean they owned STP, they owned Paxton, they owned. Um, like a, a lawn and garden implement company there was like they there was under that no corporate idea. umbrella there was like 12 or 13 other businesses so they kept those old parts and they're selling they, them today they continue they continue to make parts i think up until um like a, a 10 year period and their and um their main oh god i'm going to forget the name there was an outfit in Los Angeles cuz they actually had a plant in Los Angeles as well as South Bend Indiana and then one in Canada. Um, but Newman and Altman were like the kind of the official factory heart source for years. This and sounds a little bit like when we interviewed the guy with the Metropolitan. He has a place in Los Angeles yeah. that he goes to that just caters to AMC cars. And right. so I guess it's well known and they have their 
clubs and their groups and their meetings, and if he needs something, that's where he goes. So yeah, similar to well, that. I mean, up into the mid '70s, you could pretty much buy factory parts kind of from the factory, and then there was a lot of spend when they diversified that, and the parts supply source was at the old plant in South Bend. Um, and then when that finally shut down, all those parts kind of diversified. And uh, there's a great shop in Redwood City that's been around for 40 years called Studebaker's West. And oh, great. a place called Studebaker International. There's quite a few shops that cater to wow. to that. So, like, keeping one on the road is just not difficult. Well, that's a good thing. And then especially, again, once you get into the fact that, you know, transmissions, Borg Warner, rear ends Dana, brakes are Bendix. So you mentioned, you mentioned a few other cars you've had over the time. Um, Obviously, you know what you're doing, and you, you, it comes through in your conversation that you love vintage cars. Do you have your eye on something that you might, like down the road, I'd sure like to have a... Yeah, I, I really want to get a TR3, Triumph TR3. TR3, love it, love it. So I, I've always been really, for, for a long while, I was a parts guy um, in the early 90s at European Auto Parts, which mm-hmm. doesn't exist anymore. The garage side still does. Mm-hmm. And I kind of was uh, became kind of the British car guy there because uh-huh. I just love all the Austin Healy's and MG's and yes. Triumphs and so forth. I have a friend who used to build, rebuild Austin Healy 3000s. He still may have one. I don't know. Oh, that's cool. Yeah. And I owned a 2R4 that I loved dearly. Mm-hmm. And if I had a, ended up with a 4 again, that would be fine. But I've always really loved the TR3. It's such a weird car. It's a but it's sort of... Um, it sort of personifies the British attitude about sports cars of like, if it doesn't make it go faster or handle better, it's not necessary. Gotcha, gotcha. Sure. So. Well, uh, Dean, thanks, Dean Seavers, for uh, being our guest on the Weekly Driver podcast. We're in downtown Sacramento on K Street Mall. We've had a little bit of external noise, but it's part of the character of, of talking to a guy who... Um, is into a Studebaker, and uh, great to meet you. Thanks, thanks for being our guest. Oh, thanks Thank so you. much really for being interested it. in the in the car. Okay, great.